we are wrapping up our series in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, that letter that Paul wrote. We are wrapping that up today, which means next Sunday begins a new series, one I'm very excited about, called Outdated, Unfashionable Beliefs That Are Still True. And that is why I'm wearing this shirt. Some people have made some comments. I've never seen that shirt before, and you will never see it again. I, I did get it at Interfaith, but they actually don't sell unfashionable stuff like this. This they set aside for special people like me, because they actually sell nice clothes there. Yeah. So if you want to be like me next, next Sunday, you can keep in the spirit and wear your most unfashionable. I'm still looking for bell bottoms. Um, the bell bottoms I was given, they, they fit, but they were women's, and they looked... This is not, this is not an androgynous sermon. This is, this is outdated, because... And, and I'm glad to see in the spirit of things, Ken Foster is also wearing his outdated clothing. Was that on purpose? That's what you always wear? Okay. All right. No. I'm just... <laughs> um, anyway, so you can feel free to do that. But the truth is, you know, clothes obviously, you know, go in and out of fashion. But truth doesn't. Like what we believe in, in God's word, it, it stands the test of time. And so we're going to talk about over the next four Sundays, uh, four different beliefs that really are not popular anymore, but the God's word teaches and that, that we believe. So, so come back, maybe invite someone to that. In fact, interesting fact, um, especially if you're watching online, this is illegal. This service is illegal to watch online for one out of every five people on earth. A few weeks ago, China passed a law that said any religious content from outside of China is now illegal to watch inside of China, and any religious content in China has to be approved by the Atheist Communist Party. Good luck with that. Otherwise, it's illegal. So it's illegal to watch online. Another, a number of other countries, it's illegal to meet in person like this and talk about God's Word. In some, like China, you can meet in person unless you're under 18 years of age. Children are not allowed in church. And, and so th we need to take the opportunity that we have, the freedoms that we have, and, and use them. And tell somebody, hey, you want to do something illegal and 20% of the world's population come to church with me Sunday. And they'll be wondering what kind of church this is, but no snakes, no snake handlings, none of that. Anyway, all right, that's off, off the topic. We are in 1 Corinthians, though, this week, a messed up church, blessed by God, and uh, I'm going to back up a couple verses. There were no chapter breaks. There were no verse breaks. Pastor Josh did a great job talking about chapter 5 last week, and I'm going to read just the last couple verses of 5 because it'll help us get into chapter 6. What was going on in the church among all the other problems that maybe you've heard about the last couple weeks we've been in this series but the problem we're going to look at this week is they were suing each other. They were taking each other to court. They were trying to swindle one another out of money and things like that. And so this is Paul addressing that in this letter to them. And he says, what business is it as mine to judge those outside the church? This is a rhetorical question. The answer is no business. You have no business. None of us have any business judging people outside the church. We are not the moral police of Montrose. You're watching online. You are not the moral police of wherever you're living. Uh, that, that's not our job. Um, are you not to judge those inside? Answer, yes. We're to judge and hold accountable one another. And if you see 
somebody you know, outside the church who's not a follower of Christ, who's not following Christ, well, of course they're not. And we don't confront them on that because that just, of course, they're not going to follow you. But if you see someone in the church who's not following Jesus, we need to confront them and we need to, to, to try to, to win them back to following Christ. God will judge those outside, not our business. We need to judge those inside. Expel the wicked person from among you. If any of you has a dispute with one another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you're to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more are the things of this life? This is kind of new information for some of us here. We're judging angels? When, when, when's that? Well, not, not now. But in the future, Jesus Christ will return and those who have died will be bodily resurrected and together we will rule and reign with Christ. And in the very end, we will sit in judgment with Jesus Christ of even the fallen angels. And, and so Paul is saying, if we're going to do that, then can't we figure out, he says, trivial cases. So he, we're going to talk today about how as we should not take fellow believers to court. Okay, but we're, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about trivial cases. We're not talking about murder one. Okay, we're not talking about if someone kidnaps your child and sells them into slavery. That's not what Paul was talking about here. He's he's talking about other things where they're swindling each other, they're cheating each other. It, it involves money, and and he's like, this is trivial, and can't you figure that out on your own um, amongst one another as believers? And um, he goes on to say, therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, such trivial matters, dealing with money and things like that, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? The older you get, some of you are young and, you know, idealistic, and you might not realize that there are a lot of things that are legal that are not right. And that happens all the time, and even more so back then during Roman times where slavery was legal and women really had not much of a standing in society and, and, and a lot of the laws were not moral laws and you could use them if you were a, you know, a, a bad person to get your way. And he's saying, you know what? The, the, the court system does not hold our moral values. Why are you going to them? Like, can't, can't we in the church decide, have someone... Who, who can help decide and figure out what, what the right decision is inside the church. Um, and he goes on, I say this to shame you. He says, I, in fact, I'm really glad I'm not on the receiving end of this letter. If I was taking someone to court and then this guy gets up in church, he says, I have a letter from the Apostle Paul. And he reads the first couple chapters about unity and I'm feeling bad because I'm suing Greg, you know. I'm like, yeah. And then he gets to this. You should be ashamed of yourself. Like, ugh. Tell us what you really think. Is it, is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. And, and so the first question, I'm going to want you to ask yourself three questions this morning in relation to this passage. And the first one is, what is my reputation now, this can be very much misunderstood because what Paul is about here, he's saying you're doing this in front of unbelievers. He's not saying you need to manage your reputation better. 
He's not saying, I wish you could somehow hide better how much of a jerk you are to unbelievers. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you need to do what's right because there are people watching who are going to spend an eternity to hell if they don't turn to Jesus and what you're doing is not helping them turn to Jesus. And so it's not about managing your reputation or trying to have be different on the outside than you really are on the inside. On the contrary, I want to ask you, if everyone knew everything you've done over the last month, what would your reputation be? And I'm not saying go back five years, go back a year, go back 20 years. I don't want us to be overwhelmed with guilt in the past that if you have asked God to forgive and has been forgiven, but I'm talking about right now. How are you living right now? How are you acting right now? And what is your reputation? Because some reputations are not, you know, unearned. And you've been slandered and people have lied about you and it's not true. But many times... And certainly, if everyone knew exactly what you've done in the last month, whatever, they would cl- whatever reputation you would have then would be earned. What is your reputation? Boy, he's, a, he's good at church, but don't do a business deal with him. Man, he'll take you for everything he can. Or, yeah, she talks great and she looks great on Sunday, but you should see her Friday night. You know, they go to church, but man, they are the drama king and queens of Montrose. Man, just stay away from them. Or do they say, you know, there is something so genuine about him, it just intrigues me. You know, she has such an incredible work ethic and is so honest. Can't, can't think of a more honest person. Or he is the nicest, most generous man I've ever met. Is is that your reputation? We need to to think, what is my reputation? And am I focused more on my rights or on being right than I am on God's reputation? Because his is the one that matters. Paul isn't saying that you guys need to clean up your reputation because people think terribly of you. He says you need to start doing what's right because people think terribly of God when they see you. The saying goes, you are the only Jesus many people will ever see. And, and is, are they attracted to Jesus, if that's the case? Are they like, yeah, I want more of that? Or are they like, oh, yeah, I, like, I want more of that like a hole in the head? more focused on my rights or God's reputation. He goes on and he says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong and you do this to your brothers and sisters. And some of this has lost a little bit of its power because um, family, brothers and sisters today, doesn't carry the weight that it used to. And there's some old timers here and even young timers here that understand what family means. If you're going to help anyone, you help family. Now, that doesn't mean you lie for family. It doesn't mean you, you hide things for family. It doesn't mean you enable family members. But man, if you're going to help anyone, you're going to help family. There's a number of years ago that I made a terrible financial decision. And um, it hasn't happened before. It didn't happen since. But I was in a bind and I called my brother. I said, Brad, I'm in trouble. I need some help. 
Can you help me? And you know what? Absolutely. Didn't even make me feel guilty about it. That's, and I, I quote this verse to my sons a lot. Um, a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. Now, I quote that because they're often fighting. <laughs> it's not talking about that kind of adversity, right? It's talking about, man, when the chips are down and when you are, you are up against the wall and you don't know where to turn and you need help, where do you go? You should have family that you go to. Family loves each other. And he say, we are a spiritual family. And instead of helping each other and being there when times are tough, you're taking advantage of each other. You're like, oh, good, an easy mark. And swindling and, 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 and saying things. And um, he says, why not rather be wronged? Have you ever been wronged in a sports competition? Some referee made a bad call? Are you more concerned about being right and your rights, or are you more concerned about God's reputation? What about if the coach makes a bad decision? Does everybody need to know that? Everybody needs to know that you know that that coach made a bad decision. You know, so often, I mean, it might not get to the level of taking someone to court, but maybe it's the court of public opinion, and you go on Facebook, and there's that person that did you wrong. And maybe they're another, a fellow believer, and you just, you, just, you just lay them out. Or you do the ever-popular passive-aggressive tirade against someone, and everybody knows who you're talking about, and you're hoping especially that person who reads it, and so you can get your pound of flesh. And Paul is saying, you know what? It is better to be wronged. It is better to be cheated than to go after and, and drag Jesus' name through the mud because we are representatives of, in a, on a number of levels, and we understand this, right? Um, I represent the Cadlesic name. What I do reflects on my daughters and sons, and it reflects on my wife, and it reflects on my parents. And we, we all know this. There's certain, you know, even, even names, like you might say, you know, Owens. I know Bob and Karen. They're awesome people. And so when I hear of an Owens, that's what I think of. I think, I wonder if they're related to them. I wonder if they're great like them. And then there's other names. And you know their reputation. And then you hear that last name and you're like, ooh, I hope, I hope they're not like so-and-so. Right? So we represent. And you know what? If you're a member, if you're a part, there's a difference between... So in our church, we have attenders and members. We let literally anyone attend, right? We, Vladimir Putin could walk in and attend our services. I hope he's watching online. I seriously doubt it. <laughs> but right, we, we, we let anybody come, okay? But a mem member is different. Member means I'm committed to Jesus Christ and this local group of people, and I'm going to be accountable and hold them accountable. So that's where I was talking about earlier about voting. So you would hold me accountable as members, and we hold each other accountable as well in how we live. And so, so th this is important that if, if you are a member of Bridgewater Church, you need to represent this church well. Because what you do and what I do reflects on this church. And many times I talk to people, and sometimes they don't know who I am, and that's becoming less and less often, but... Met a guy yesterday, George, he didn't know who he was, and talk about the church, and there's just, this church has a wonderful reputation, and that's because of you. 
It's because of you, because you are the ambassadors for this church. But every so often I talk to someone, and this church has a bad reputation because they know someone who comes and what they did. And so the response of many people to, to say this, and don't, don't respond this way, is some people think, yeah, that's why I'm not going to come back to this church because I, I don't want to look like a hypocrite. And to that I would say, no, 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 you need to come back. You need to stop what you're doing and live right. That's what you need to do. Right? And, and this is a hospital for broken, hurting, wounded. This is not a, a museum for saints. Okay, so, but, but we need to realize, man, and be it greater than the church, greater than your family name. You are an ambassador if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says you are an ambassador of God. You represent God. And, and how does that representation go? Um, here's another question. Is this dispute worth someone's eternity? If I were to say, okay, choose, you lose $10,000 and are cheated out of $10,000, but there's someone who goes from an eternity in hell to they're going to spend an eternity in heaven, but it means you lose $10,000. Would you choose that? I would hope every follower of Jesus Christ in this room would say, absolutely, $10,000, and yet someone who is going to hell is now going to heaven? Absolutely, I'd make that choice every time I could. And yet, in the midst of particular situations, sometimes it's hard to see with clarity how important God's reputation is than our, our, our being right. Um, he goes on, well, before we read this verse, I'm going to give um, a couple illustrations, um, maybe two, at least one. So what does this look like in real life? Um, when I was moving down here, I lived, Becky and I lived up in Johnson City. We sold our house there, and uh, we put it up for sale. There was someone in the church, actually, before we even went to a real estate agent, who said, man, we would love to buy your house. Great. And so we talked, we settled on a price, and, um, and they didn't have the financing, so we said, that's okay. They're, they're a godly, Eric and Harmony Flint, their names, godly people. Haven't seen them in 12 years, but wonderful, awesome people. Um, we said, while you get the financing together, we'll just hold it for you. They said, well, can we move in? I said, well, yes, you can. Um, I, my dad is a wise man. My dad came to me and said, you know what? Especially with friends, everything needs to be in writing. You're doing this with the Flints. It's wonderful. They're wonderful people. You're wonderful people. Here's a page and a half, and it's a, a, a rental agreement, rent-to-own agreement or whatever that I've used in the past. Why don't you take this? And I took it, you know, modified it, went to them. We talked it all out. The rent you're going to pay is just rent. It's low. I it was like $600 a month or something like that. Um, you know, that, it's low, but that, that's rent. It's not going to go toward the cost of the closing or anything. And I wanted to do that to encourage them to close on it, you know. Like, I didn't want this to go on forever and me to be a bank for them, saving their money month after month goes on. And so, so we, we agreed on that, talked it through, signed it, both had copies. We get to the closing months and months later, six months later or so, and just before the closing, Eric comes to me and he says, now the money we were paying you in rent, 
that goes to the closing cost, doesn't it? I'm like, no. And you know, at that point, I was so glad it was written down. And, and so I went back, I said, remember we had that sheet? Yeah, you know, well, I don't know if you can find it. I'll find mine. And, and he got his out and he's like, oh, you're right. You're right. No, it's not. That's not toward closing costs. And away we went and everything was wonderful. So just, just to say, what if we didn't write things down? And what if Eric and Harmony weren't so wonderful? And they said, you are trying to cheat us out. You lied. Are you calling me a liar? What are you? And they got all upset and they said, we're going to sue you for this, you know, couple thousand dollars that we've been paying into it um, over the last six months. It'd be what, $3,600. What should I do? Well, first of all, I should say, you know what? 1 Corinthians 6, is there anyone, isn't there anyone in the church that you respect, that I respect, that we could go to that's a godly person who can arbitrate this? Nobody wants to pay lawyers' fees. Let's just settle this as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we were to do that, um, maybe the guy, we get Jim Van Hart. He was a, a man that we would have both respected. And he sits down with us and he looks over the facts and he's like, this is a very reasonable rent amount. I mean, it's less than market value, and I don't know who said what because you didn't write it down, and hopefully in the future you'll always write it down, but I don't know who said what, but I'm going to what if he sides with me? And Eric and Harmony say, that's terrible. We're taking you to court. We're like, wait a minute. We agreed. I don't care what we agreed. He, you had him in his back. You, you're friends with him. You're a good old boys club, man. We're taking you to court. The Bible says... Better to take a wash, take a shower, whatever you call that. Lose the $3,600 and say, all right, here you go. Then to go to court and say, yeah, these two church members, the choir director, Harmony Flint, and the former pastor are suing each other over this amount of money. And that, that's what the Bible says. Now, what if, what if Jim Van Hart, the arbitrator, what if he, he made the wrong decision and he sided with them? Again, all right, I'll, I'll pay it. I think he's wrong. I don't think that was a wise decision. And, and so this is how God wants us to act. And so often, I've even, I, I sat down with a couple having child custody problems. And I said, here's the thing. Either the two of you, and maybe me as a mediator, can figure out who gets the kids when, like grown adults, or we go to court and, let, and, and pay somebody thousands of dollars to decide this for you. Which do you want? And can, can we come to an agreement together? And that's what he's saying here. One, one more illustration of, of what this means. And I got this out of a book called Well-Intentioned Dragons. I updated the amounts because it was written in the early 80s, like this shirt. Um, <laughs> And uh, just with inflation to make it um, kind of make sense for today, Pastor Greg didn't sense anything was wrong at first. They had a building program. They were adding on in addition to their building. And uh, the first payment to the contractor they, was due. And they were almost half done. And he called the treasurer up, Treasurer Fred. And he said, Fred, um, pay, the, pay the, the, the amount. The contractor wants it. Um, they've done a good job. Fred seemed annoyed. Pastor thought that was odd, but didn't think anything of it. Two weeks went by, the contractor still wasn't paid. Pastor calls Fred up and says, hey, you need to, be oh, he's like, oh, I forgot. I'll get right on it. I'll send the check out right away. No problem. Okay, good, good. Glad, glad you're on top of it. 
Two weeks more goes by. And Everett, who is a member of the church, who also worked at a local bank, this is not a Bridgewater story, okay? Just if you're, this is, you know, from this book. Everett, he calls the pastor up and he says, uh, Pastor, we have a problem. You need to meet me and Treasurer Fred at the bank today. Two hours later, they're meeting together and Everett says, Fred, you have something to tell the pastor? And Fred looks right at the floor and he says, a number of months ago, there was a new business opening and it was a great investment opportunity and the pastor felt like his stomach was up in his throat. And he says, how much did you lose? He said, I lost the entire $630,000 of the building fund. It's all gone. The church is broke. And this contractor's bill was for $350,000. And they had no money. So the pastor, and, and, and this is what he said. He says, I'm sorry. It was poor judgment on my part. The pastor's like, poor judgment. He, he didn't say anything. But internally, he was saying, poor judgment, you're a thief, and you didn't just steal from me. You stole from that little old lady, and you stole from that young family, that, that couple that, with little kids, and they're struggling as it is, and they gave to the church, and then you took it. And what are we going to do? What is the reputation of this church going to be if we can't pay someone who did a good job building something for us? Like, what? But, but he had the wherewithal to not say anything, and he just said, you know what, this is a lot to take in right now. And uh, the leadership team of the church is going to be meeting tonight with you, Fred. And we will pray up until then for a miracle and we'll decide what to do then. And so that night, Fred had again needed to share with that group what he did and then he was dismissed and they had two problems. They, number, the biggest pressing problem, they said, is we gotta figure out what, how, to, how to get $350,000. And so there were guys on that board and said, I can cash out my savings. This other guy said, I can take out a personal loan. And then they also said, well, let's approach the congregation and, you know, uh, lack of trust. But, you know, you know, like, let's ask them because this is, and share what's happened. And so the meeting was on Tuesday night. By Friday night, they had $350,000 to pay the contractor. But the other thing they had to figure out Tuesday night is what do you do with Fred and uh, they're like, is it true repentance if he doesn't make restitution? But lo and behold, no surprise, Fred didn't have much money. Wasn't very good with it. I don't know why they made him a treasurer. 2020 <laughs> you know, hindsight. They're like, you know, is he really sorry or is he sorry that he got caught? Some get-rich-quick scheme he was going to try to do on the backs of the church somehow, behind scenes, you know. But they decided, and um, pastor preached a message on Matthew chapter 18, 21 to 35, about the need to forgive, how this one man has forgiven billions of dollars that he owes, and then he in turn doesn't forgive someone who owes him thousands. And God says, you know what, if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven by him. And just how high a bar that is. And the pastor said in that sermon, and, he, and this was something the board even, there's a man in the board, he spoke up. He said, the church is not in the business of putting men in prison. We're in the business of redemptive business. He said, if, if, if this man did this in another church and was kicked out of there, would we not want to at least minister to him here? 
Now, he's never going to be a treasurer. He's never going to count the offering. He's never going to have anything to do with our money ever again. But can we forgive? And so that Sunday, the pastor preached on Matthew 18, and Fred sat in the second row, head down, staring at the floor the whole time. And, and they sought to forgive him. After the service, a man came up to the pastor and he says, don't, tell me, don't you have the urge to punch him in the nose? <laughs> and the pastor said, I am very angry with Fred. He says, well, isn't that hypocritical to say you forgive him when you're so angry? And he says, no, I don't think so. He said, is it hypocrisy when you feel like having an affair but resist the temptation because you know it's not right? Yes, I'm tempted to refuse to forgive, but I know that Christians need to behave a different way. Integrity is determined by what you decide, not by what you want and not by what you feel. Paul ends this passage with these verses. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? We come to Christ through repentance. You have to ask Jesus to forgive you, and then you have to turn from that sin and say, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to follow Jesus. I want to obey Jesus and the Lord. And so that's, so wrongdoers don't inherit the kingdom of God. You have to repent. But don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. These are all issues in the, in the church there. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what they're talking about in these court cases. Thieves, greedy people, swindlers. And that's what some of you were. But, you were washed, you were sanctified, morally made clean. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He says, that's not who we are anymore. Our identity as a forgiven person in Jesus Christ, we act differently. There's two principles in those stories that we need to remember. Number one, we need to love our enemies. That's countercultural, always. It's almost counterhuman in our fallen states. Love your enemies. Number two, we need to forgive those who've sinned against us. That doesn't mean you trust them in the future. It doesn't mean you enable them to do it again, but it does mean you forgive. You see, the world judges us by our behavior more than by our beliefs. People aren't out there trying to decide, like, tell me what you believe again. Yeah, that intellectually, that makes sense to me. That's what I'm going to do. No, they're watching your behavior. And the truth is, God judges us by our behavior and not by our beliefs as well, right? Um, in fact, that's how you know um, if you behave like money is more important than friendships and relationships, then guess what? I don't care what you say you believe. I don't care what you think you believe. You believe that money is more important than relationships if that's how you behave. Behavior is a, a, a very illuminating thing when it comes to what we really believe deep down. And I'm not saying we're saved by our works. I'm saying that, that when we're saved, our works change, right? When, when we surrender our lives to Jesus and are following Jesus, we're not perfect, but we are different and trying to be different. How I treat the person at the drive-thru says a lot more about what I believe than how much scripture I can quote. How you treat your neighbor says a lot more about your understanding of God's love than if 
you know the difference between agape and phileo love in the Greek. How you treat your spouse says more about your understanding of grace and forgiveness than how often you attend church, how hard and honestly you work at your job attracts your coworkers to church and Jesus a lot more than an invite card. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to church. I'm not saying memorizing verses are bad or any of that stuff. It's just how we live is so important. And this passage just, just puts it right out there. It's very difficult. This is a difficult thing to live, but this is how we need to live. Like people's eternity, like God's reputation is more important than me getting my way and me getting what's fair and what, what I deserve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. Um, I thank you that the Corinthian church was messed up because we are too. And uh, this, is, this is practical for us. And so many here have been in situations like this, and those who haven't probably will pretty soon. Lord, help us to be forgivers. Help us to be wise. Help us to be loving, even to our enemies, and to know how to do that. The devil's in the details. Not to enable and be suckers, but on the other hand, to be completely different and um, to put you first above our own interests. Uh, Lord, I just uh, thank you that this song we're going to sing talks about you brought us out of Egypt. We were slaves to sin, just like the Jews were slaves in Egypt, and you brought us out of that slavery. God, help us never to go back to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.